This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'm so glad you're joining us today. Our special guest today is New York Times bestselling author. You know him from uh, his bestselling book, A Dog Named Christmas. It's Greg Kincaid. And Greg's going to come on and talk to us a little bit about his latest novel, Noel. And uh, we'll find out a little bit more about the novel and how it ties into some of the other books that he has put together. And then we'll uh, talk also a little bit about uh, Greg's writing styles and how he comes up with all these uh, beautiful gems and heartfelt stories. So I'm real interested to talk to Greg some more about that. So everybody, just hang tight. We're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us again today. Joining us now is the best-selling author, Greg Kincaid, and he returns to us uh, with a McRae family story in the latest book, the novel, Noel. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Yeah, it's always great to hear from you and uh, see the latest book. So tell us about the latest novel, Noel. Well, it's uh, this family. I haven't written about them in quite a while. I think it's been three or four years. And I think somehow they told me they wanted a break. They said, quit writing about us. Leave us alone. We want our <laughs> privacy. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they just weren't screaming at me to have a story. And then I was taking a walk one day, and all of a sudden I just got a bunch of these characters started talking to me. So I thought, well, it's time to do another one. So I have. And the characters have uh, grown up and have new issues in their lives. And it seemed fresh, and uh, it was just time. There you go. Well, that's interesting how you just said that. Now, we're skipping turns here. We'll go back to talk a little bit more about the specific book, but these characters talk to you. Is this how this all started to begin with? Did these characters just pop into your mind, and that's how you started uh, writing a little bit about the uh, McRae family? Yeah, I think it does kind of work that way. And they have attitudes, and uh, I think if you see little kids playing with G.I. Joes or Barbies or things like that, that's sort of the, what they do in a way. They animate those characters with their creativity and their imagination and i think what writers have to do too they have to they have to animate their characters and and make them real themselves or probably not going to seem real and animated to the readers either absolutely well then tell us a little bit about the characters which uh, which ones are returning and are there without spilling the beans any new characters we should be looking at in the novel 
Well, I wanted to do uh, some things differently, and I, and I had two or three story ideas that were competing in my mind for this book, and so I decided to blend them and really kind of do three storylines that were very much intertwined and, of course, resolved themselves together at the end. So the McRae family, which is the patriarch of that family, is George and his wife, Marianne. They're still a very central part of the story, probably the primary thread. And then their son, Todd, who's always also been a very important part, he's in there. Then there's two new characters that we haven't seen before. So there's three storylines with basically six characters. And of course, dogs, if we want to call them characters. Uh, of course, of course, the leading yeah. stars of, of any <laughs> right. book, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So now, is this, uh, do you feel this book is, um, for those, I'm sure everybody, anybody in their right mind knows about a dog named Christmas and all the uh, great Hallmark stories and TV shows and stuff that came along with that and then your subsequent writing. Is this a carry on from that, a natural transition from the first book on to where we're at now, or is it a whole stand of alone? So if some who's been living in the wilderness and doesn't know about your writing can pick up this book and say, hey, this is a fresh book, fresh idea. Well, that's a good question, Jim. And that's something that my editors are very important about. They want it to be both. They want it to be a story that if you've never read any of my books before, you could pick it up and not have to know about any of these characters. They get reintroduced. But for people that already love the characters and know the characters, it's a continuation as well. So it's important to be able to do both of those. And because it's unfair to a reader that may not realize it's a, a book in a series, if you will, they pick it up and get it home and go, oh my gosh, you know, now I have to read these other three books and I didn't buy them. And that's, I don't like that when it happens to me. And I've had, I've done that so many times. I've gone in and bought a book and realized it was book three in the series. I hate that. So, no, I really want it to stand alone and be a continuation. And yeah, and I think it's important. I think it's important. I, you know, uh, the way I view it and view your book here, Noel, is you know, it is a standalone book. I can enjoy it as is, but it also gives me that hunger. You know, I've read the other books, of course, but you know, if I was new to this, I'd say, hey, I want to go back and check all this out, and and really where all this begins, especially if I read your your bio about uh, the fact that uh, the first book was turned into a you know Hallmark classic, basically. And it's fun when you write. One of the things that's fun for a writer when you're writing a book books the four books that occur over 10 years is watching the characters grow and thinking about well how how would a character that's maybe 60 in book one be very different at 70 or, or 18 versus 28 and and that that was fun you don't normally get to have a character develop that much over a span of a book most books are going to occur in maybe a few months or even a few weeks so that was fun for me yeah absolutely so walk us through noel a little bit like i said without giving it all away uh, what can people expect what's the journey that's uh, in the three-part storyline well there was three things that, that intrigued me that i wanted to write about one was todd the character had developmental delay and you never know what's going to happen to some of these kids that have this disorder. Some of them really flower and they get older, and that's that's the idea of delay. They're not incapable of developing into pretty normal lives. They're just slow. And so then maybe they're four or five years behind, and when you're in eighth grade, being four or five years behind is horrible. But when you're 30 and instead of 35, it's almost insignificant. And I wanted to show that. I wanted to see Todd growing out of his disabilities and still having a lot of the same wonderful characteristics he had before. And, of course, the biggest vehicle for that would be to have him fall in love. I couldn't let you see so obvious, right? <laughs> so he falls in love, and uh, how he manages to work through a relationship with his disabilities. So that's one storyline. And, and Todd always had a sort of freshness about him. He wasn't too 
worried about being terribly conventional. He just always looked at the world the way through Todd's eyes. So I thought that would be fun. And then Marianne and George are kind of retirement age and you know, they're dealing with those kind of issues. And their good friend, Hank Fisher, is even older than them. And he's been in the town of Santa Claus for just as long as anybody can remember. And so the big debate evolves about whether Santa can get old. You know, how can Santa have oxygen and be in a wheelchair? It just didn't seem right. Marianne kind of gets in the middle of that debate, and, and she's a debate teacher, and so she prides herself on her arguing skills. And she gets herself into a box where she ends up volunteering kind of to make a point to be Santa Claus. And everybody says, okay, <laughs> you got the job, lady. <laughs> and uh, she's not quite sure what to do with it. And at first she thinks, well, you know, I'll just get a beard and I'll just, you know, I'll just play like um, I'm Santa. And then she starts thinking, well, wow, you know, there's the Grinch, there's Frosty, there's the three wise men, but there's, there's really not a woman on the holiday stage. Why is that? And if I'm going to be a woman on the holiday stage, maybe I want to be Anna Claus instead of Santa Claus. What does that mean? <laughs> and so it's kind of a vehicle to talk about that, which, which you know, in the last year or so in the news, particularly the last two weeks, in the yeah. news, how men relate to women and women's role in our society. It's just a fascinating subject. And we, I think we focus on a lot of the, the obvious ways that maybe women are not treated perhaps as equitably as they should be. And, and this is just a little subtle thing, but it's kind of important. And why wouldn't a little girl growing up want to see a female figure on the holiday stage, not just all these male figures? So she, she has these thoughts, but she doesn't know what to do with them. And she struggles with how to handle it. And George struggles a little bit with it too. And the two of them have to work through all those issues. And, and I think that storyline's a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who would have known you were such a prophet, Greg? What timing, you know? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I really did. I mean, I think probably the Clinton-Trump election was in the back of my mind, and I, certainly I'm not even taking sides in that issue. Just the role of women and how that played out through that election was when I was writing this. I think it was certainly in my mind, at least. And and then the third storyline is kind of a sad storyline, and it comes from my my work as a divorce mediator. I'm dealing with a family that's going through a horrible divorce and they're struggling and their children are hurting. And, uh, you know, Marianne feels sorry for them. Everybody feels sorry for them and they're trying to help them. And that's where the dog comes into play, of course. Absolutely. That's great. And I want to touch upon that right after we come back from these commercial breaks here in a moment, but uh, a little bit about your uh, other life <laughs> that you have and how that ties into your writing for sure. So it's exciting. And I like the fact that you said uh, you had the uh, the past election in the back of your mind. And I, I think if you could teach us all how to put that in the back of our mind, uh, we would all be happier for it. <laughs> Yeah, that's where it needs to go, right? That's where – way back there, way back there. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. We'll talk a little bit more uh, with uh, author Greg Kincaid about his book, Noel, and then we'll talk a little bit about his writing styles and uh, how he comes up with such beautiful gems that always include a dog. So that's the important thing. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. 
ooh, get the stinky dog away from me. Bad breath and bad gas. Petey stopped eating. All his hair fell out. Itching, licking, missing fur. At least $5,000 in vet bill. Creams, antibiotics, sprays. No results. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. The shedding is stopped and the itching is stopped. Her coat is now soft, it's silky, it's healthy and shiny and glossy. She's got life, she's got energy. Tons of energy, no more bad smell. Dynavite's the bomb. <gasps> Dynavite is the best thing that's ever happened to my dogs, you know, besides me, of course. <laughs> 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with the New York Times bestselling author and our good buddy Greg Kincaid. Greg, when everybody picks up a copy of the book Noel and they read through it and just uh, have so much fun with it and cry some tears and realize how important it is to have at least one dog in your life, what do you hope people gain from it? What do you want to be the big takeaway once they take a look at the book? Well, uh, in my life as a divorce mediator, I deal with a lot of families that are just going through this horrible time in their life. And it's interesting. The parents are fighting over the house. They're fighting over the kids. They're fighting over, you know, so many things. They're not, not always fighting, but struggling over them. And it just always interested me that pets weren't were so rarely part of the dialogue. Hmm. And I really want, one of the things I wanted to really get across is how healing pets are. And that's the theme that's been through all of my books. And I particularly wanted to write about it in the context of the divorce. And I, I was at a seminar once and a psychologist was talking about things to help kids. And he brought up this idea of, this, of a transitional object, which is like a, a stuffed animal or, or something that can go from mom's house to dad's house. It, it keeps continuity in the child's life. And I thought, yeah. my gosh, you know, if, it can, if a stuffed animal can help a little, what could a real animal do, right? So I really had that idea that I wanted to talk about to people. So I wanted to raise sensitivity around that issue. And I also wanted to raise sensitivity around the issue of what makes a great dog. And I think we writers in particular like to write write these stories about these heroic dogs that, you know, they save Tim from the well. And, you know, and and that's fun. I like reading those kind of books myself. But I wanted to write this little dog in this book. uh, Her name is Elle. And she's just pretty mischievous and uh, gets in trouble. And Todd's bless his heart, wants to train her and, and make her into something somehow more special in his mind. And he slowly kind of starts to figure out that she's got a role to play. And Elle gets in trouble so much that this little girl that comes into contact with her associates her name with, no, Elle, uh, no, Elle, quit that, quit this. And so she thinks the little dog's name is Noel, and that's where the title of the book comes from. Ah, very good. Very good. I like it. I like how that all ties together. So you had mentioned just briefly about how in real life, 
as a divorce mediator that oftentimes the animal doesn't come into play. I would have thought perhaps the animal in a family that's going through a, a tough divorce for good or bad may come into play more often because they have to decide what to do with the dog. And I would hazard to say some people use that as a bargaining chip. Do you ever encounter those type of situations as well? I do. You know, you get a whole array of things. You get, in my business, you get people that act so nobly that you just want to take your hat off and hug them and say, oh my gosh, that's just the nicest, kindest thing. I had a case last week where, where the dad was in a little apartment. He couldn't keep the dog or have the dog. And he knew how important it was to mom and the kids and, and him too. And he said, well, look, I know child support goes for the kiddos, but that's not fair. And he was paying an extra $100 a month because he wanted to be sure this dog was there for the kids, and he wanted to be sure it was taken care of. So there there are people that handle this with extreme generosity and kindness, and you just, you know, they're lovely people. But you're right. There are also people that are cruel, that they see this as an object that they don't care about, and so they're very manipulative around it, and they'll say things like, fine, you want the dog, I'll take the Porsche, you know, that that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So yeah, you get, just like everything in life, you get people that are really kind and you get people that are really insensitive. But part of what I like to write about, and I've written in you know, law journals and things like that as well, and is just seeing how important, I don't think adults always understand how important pets are to the kids because parents oftentimes think the house is so important. Oh, I don't want Johnny to have to move. Right. But then in the next breath, they'll say, but we can't afford this dog anymore. We're going to get rid of that. And I, I don't, I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, they, they don't see that that dog's probably a much stronger emotional connection than a you know a house on Elm Street that looks out over who knows what. But, right. So th- that's one of the things that I try to help families with because that sometimes is people's connection to pets, as we all know, is different. And some, for some people, it's extraordinarily deep and other people, it's more casual and it's just going to vary. That's very interesting that you say that. So how in your job, then how do you strike a balance between all of that, especially when a, a dog comes into play or another animal comes into play? Uh, how do you get people to think uh, more level-headed per se on it or think uh, of the importance uh, that that particular dog could mean to their child? Well, that's. I wish I was better at that. And you raised such a good question because I have a, a delicate job where I'm trying to get a family from point X to point Y, and my right. job is not necessarily to enlighten them. Sometimes I get. I wish it was, but sometimes my job is just to, you know, to get them there and to get them to stop fighting. And so a lot of times it's just offering creative solutions with this work or with that work. Because I can't lecture, you know, I can't lecture to people and say, ah, you're so darn insensitive, I can't believe it. But, you know, if I did that, they'd, they'd walk out of my office and say, you're a bad mediator, buddy, I don't, I don't want to talk to you. But, so, so it is a hard job, and, and you, you get that, you get to those places by asking lots of questions. Like, you know, for instance, well, I understand what you're saying, the dog's not that important to you, but how about the kids, do you think maybe it's important to them? And, and do you think maybe losing that dog would be another loss at a time in their lives when they're already having so many losses? losses. Just what do you think? You have to lead them. Uh, You can't knock them over the head with it. That's nice. I like that though. That's a good approach, leading them down the path to, especially if you can get them to think it was their idea all along. That's (laughs) (laughs) planting the seed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can tell I've been married for a number of years, Greg. (laughs) She plants the seed. Eventually I get the clue and here we go. <laughs> right, some of us are a little slower than others, but if yeah. you need me, I can often go the right direction. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. You, yeah, if you're the male in the relationship, it's going to take you a few uh, few steps behind, <laughs> and we admit it. We're proud. Amen. We know it. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's kind of a common theme in my books too. Marianne is always at least a day ahead of poor old George, but he he uh, he usually gets it right in the end. <laughs> that's it. That's it. As long as we get there, that's that's all we can hope for. So I like that. Very good. All right, Greg. One other quick question about writing. You know, sure. you'd mentioned it early on in the interview here that uh, you know you're taking a walk, and all of a sudden these characters bombard you, say, "Hey, it's time to write about us again." Is that uh, traditionally what happens when you first start to write, or do you have like multiple ideas and things you're working on, and then something comes to the forefront, or is it uh, more like your editor contacts you and say, "Hey, Greg, when you can get us another book?" That last one is the worst way for me to write. If somebody comes to me and says, boy, I'd really like you to do X, Y, and Z, that rarely works for me very well. I have to have an inspiration. I think, I think for me, writing is doing a number of things. One, it's a catharsis. You know, I'm working through issues that maybe are important to me. Mm-hmm. And so my characters help me work those issues out. But I also feel like it's a writer's responsibility to do somewhat like that we were talking about with mediation, asking questions. I mean, like in this book, I'm not really trying to be a feminist or anything else. I'm just trying to t- ask questions. Why did we, have we left women off the holiday stage? And why haven't we even noticed that? Why haven't we paid attention to it? And and if it's time to put women on the holiday stage, what would it look like? So I'm just, something's intrigued me enough to ask those questions and let the characters play out the answers. Same thing with the dog. Why don't we pay more attention to dogs and divorce? It ought to be more important and what good things could come out of it if we ask those questions. So I think it's my job as a writer to not only entertain, but to educate and get awareness around issues. If I can do that and ha- and people can have fun reading the book at the same time, I consider my writing to be hugely successful for, for me. There you go. I think that's spot on. That's a great way to look at it. And I, I always think you do a brilliant job of Greg. It's always uh, fun seeing uh, your latest come out and reading through it. And uh, obviously, it's always great to talk to you as well. So I think that's a good message, good way to end it a little bit tonight. Greg, tell us a little bit about where people can pick up a copy of Noel, uh, where you're going to be, how to follow you and all your fun activities. Well, Noel should be in all uh, major bookstores, oftentimes on the holiday section. Of course, the online bookstores will carry it. And if anybody's interested in following me, although I'm not the biggest contributor in the world, I try to get on occasionally onto Facebook, and that's www.facebook front slash author Greg Kincaid. All right, very good. So we'll make sure we get that posted and get everything out there so everybody can follow uh, all your activities, maybe even get lucky to meet you in person and uh, chat it up a little bit. But everybody go out and pick up a copy of the book. It's uh, the latest novel by Greg Kincaid. It's called Noel. Another great read, another great uh, job you did with this. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. It's always wonderful talking to you and uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you for having me on, Tim. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions or ideas, you can write us at PetLifeRadio.com, and we'll be glad to answer your questions and entertain your comments. And while you're at it, why don't you write a great story about the animals in your life? Put it in a blog, an article, or in a book, and who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Everybody have a wonderful day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.